Jesus. Really, all we need is one touch from heaven. That's all we need. Fix everything in your life. Fix everything in your life. Just one touch from heaven. Anointing your soul. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, we pray for that today. We say yes to that today. Let there be an invasion of heaven into our soul. Let there be an invasion of heaven into our life, into our region, into our community, into our families, into our church, into our culture. Hallelujah. Let us see the heaven being imposed upon the earth. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's give him one more praise today. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. And you might be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. I want to share with you for a few moments out of 1 Samuel chapter 1. A very familiar scripture, perhaps. Reading in verse number two. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah. The name of the other was Paniah. And Paniah had children and Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city early to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah, to make an offering, he could would give portions to Paniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But Hannah, he gave a double portion, for he loved Hannah. And although the Lord cl- uh, had closed her womb, her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. Verse number 10, and she was bitter in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come to his head. Verse 14, so Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken until now. Verse 17, then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. Amen. 
Father, thank you for an atmosphere that we can express our love toward you. Thank you for a liberty and a freedom that we're unashamed to give you glory. If it's with a shout, if it's with a dance, or if it's with just standing in your presence and lifting our hands. God, whatever our soul feels the occasion requires, I thank you for that liberty. But I pray today that you would continue to speak to us. Because in the midst of this day, we have people that are dealing with things such as Hannah need to see your expression of love. So I pray today in this service, manifest your glory in the Hannah's in this house. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise God. I want to talk to you today uh, concerning different times that we worship. It's easy sometimes to worship and then it's more difficult at times to worship. Uh, The easiest time to worship God is when you're happy. The most powerful time to worship God is when you're in pain. I definitely am grateful for the times in my life when Worship has been easy. I'm grateful for the times when I've been emotionally well and happy and everything is going my way and and falling into place. During these times, I yield and surrender to God worship that is easy. But I've also grown to thank God for the times in my life whenever I've learned to worship him when it's anything but easy. I'm talking about times when nothing is going right, when trouble is overwhelming, when my emotional pain is unbearable and I am suffering from a broken heart. Uh, I'm first to admit to you this morning that during these times, worship is hard. It doesn't come easy. It is difficult. It, it is painful that you lift your hands and you throw your head toward the heavens and give God thanks, not for what you're going through, but because of who he is. It's easy for us to remember how good he is when we're going through painful times. He, we can be mighty blessed, we can receive many things, he can be so faithful to us, but when trouble comes, I'm, ta- I'm not talking about a bad hair day, I'm talking about real trouble. I'm talking about stuff that, that you, don't, you don't call and ask somebody else to pray for you, but it gets you up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and it's what wakes you up, and it's what you go to bed with, and it's, it's what's c- controlling your mind. I, I'm talking about the emotion and the pressures of the day that we're living in. Uh, it's easy during those times to, to, to forget how good he has been, that we can worship him not out of what we're going through, but because of who he is. Amen. But I, as, I, as believers, we will experience both times in our worship. We will experience times when it's easy to worship, and we will experience times when it's hard to give him a good amen. 
Today I want to talk about both of those. I want to explore what happens in each of those situations because what it, to, to call it easy worship this morning, it is easy to worship when you're happy. It's easy to worship when everybody loves you. <laughs> when, when we got the job promotion that we was looking for, when our relationships with our husband and our, with our wife or with our kids are going good, it's easy to worship. When your finances is all together and they're blessed and, and you have extra money, uh, when there is no storms and the battles of life are not raging against you, but it's a peaceful season in which you find yourself. And, and you know that when you're physically and emotionally in a spiritual rest, it's easy to come to the house of the Lord and say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It's during those times that we war nobody has to promote us or prompt us or push us, but we come with a smile on our face. We come with hands lifted. We come to glorify and praise him because it is an easy praise. But during these wonderful moments in our life, it is easy to step into God's presence. And can I tell you, we need those times. We need those times. It's necessary for you to have those kind of times. We are not supposed to always be in a battle. We are not always trying to break through or to have, get something done. But there's got to be a, an, a time, and it's important that we come to times of peace. We come to times of victory. We come to a time of testimony. And during those times, we can, so to speak, relax, and we can have fun, and, and we can rejoice, and we can feel light and carefree and joyful. And, and, and I value those times. I like it. I love it. But to be honest with you, the worship that I offered during those times produced very little power in my life. It's good. But there's something about, for the lack of a better term, hard praise, difficult worship, worship that that doesn't cost you produces very little. But in order to get the oil out of the olive, there has to be a pressing and a crushing. And the greater the pressing, the more the oil will flow. And the more an anointing will come. And we see that example in our text this morning, how Hannah was in the temple and she was filled with pain. She was sorrowful. The Bible said she is bitter in soul. She was wept in anguish. She poured out her soul before the Lord. And in this state, what I want you to notice, it did not keep her from the house of God. Neither did it keep her from worshiping God. But why was Hannah in the temple? She was not there and, and, and had all of her pain. She was not there just to go to the temple. She was, she was going there. She didn't go to the temple to get a miracle. But in verse number three said that Hannah went to the temple to worship God. 
Can you wrap your mind around that today? She's emotionally to her edge. She has physically done all she knows to do. She is spiritually perhaps drained, but she does not stay at home. She says, I'm going to the house with my husband to worship God. And she, she went, it didn't just come on her. It wasn't because the stage was set. It wasn't because something special was going on, but right in the middle of her stress, right in the middle of her difficulty, right in the middle of her doing all that she knew spiritually to do without no success, she determines in her heart, I'm going to the house of the Lord. I'm not looking for a word. I'm not looking for a miracle. I'm looking for God. And I'm going to bow to him. I'm going to worship his name. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to give him the glory that he deserves. Amen. They weren't there to pray. They were there to worship. And Hannah didn't just go to church because she wanted something. She was there to worship. Amen. And she went there to say, if nobody else is going to worship today, Hannah's going to worship her God. She's going to give him glory and praise. This passage of scripture makes it clear that Hannah was not the only one in the temple worshiping that day. Her husband, Elkaniah, I guess that's how you say it. I'm not a scholar, and they got some weird names in the Bible. But anyways, this dude, he, he's his, her wife, or her husband, right? And, and he's there worshiping. She goes with him. Now, she we could have probably handled that if hubby was going. Even if things weren't all just all together right, our spouse was going and, and we had a little, you know, miscommunication or we was even uh, uh, sharing loudly with one another on the way to the temple. We could kind of push that back and we could go ahead and enter into worship. Uh, I think I probably could deal with that. But she, he, he wasn't the only one there. Miss Paniah was there. Hannah's adversary was up in the house of God with her. And she had to learn how to worship God with her adversary in the house. It wasn't an easy thing. It wasn't something that she just it would easily, it wasn't just a miscommunication in, in walking out the process of life. Paniah had what Hannah only desired. But yet, Paniah wasn't cool about it. She, she, she kept on putting it in Hannah's face. She kept on rubbing it in, if you will. Amen. And, and we see that, that I'm sure that Paniah was happy going to the house of the Lord. I'm sure that her husband, uh, Elkaniah, he, 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 he was happy. He, he was probably jumping around singing, look what the Lord has done. He, he's done, got him two wives. He's got a plenty of money. 
How do I know? Because the Bible said that he would give Paniah a substance, but he would also give to all of her children money. And then it would come to Hannah and he would give her a double portion because he loved her. Paniah was happy because she had a rich husband and her children were provided for. Amen. She was on top of the world. She had something that Hannah did not. She had children and she would flaunt it in front of her, uh, Hannah. She would make it, make it worse on her. She would rub it in, so to speak. She would take salt and rub it in the wound. But Hannah was heartbroken. She did not have the one thing she desired and seemingly could never have. While everyone else was worshiping with their joy and happiness, she was found herself offering while in great pain. She had, was the one who had tears running down her face. She was the one who, whose cheeks had turned red and, and weeping with sorrow. It was not a, it was not a pretty worship. It was not a pretty praise, but it was out of the depths of her groaning. It was, it was so that, that it got Eli the priest all messed up. It wasn't something that she was doing over on the side, but she was doing hard worship. Amen. But I want to tell you today that her hard worship produced a miracle. And while she offered hard worship, she tapped into a power that produced what she could never produce. Amen. And it was through her worship that opened up this power in her life that caused her to experience what she would have never experience had she not been a worshiper she pressed into God's presence in the midst of her pain did you hear me she pressed into it her pain was overwhelming but she said I'm not going to allow this to determine who I am I'm not going to allow the circumstances to dictate to me who I will be. But I know only one way for this thing to shift. And I'm going to press into the presence of God. I'm going to do it not through trying to manipulate, not through trying to gain appeals and the opinions of people, but the only way to get God's attention, the only way for this thing to shift in my life is for me to lift my hands while I'm heartbroken. Amen. Stay at the altar while my soul is bitter. And she poured her heart out till nothing was left on the inside of her. You see, you've got to come to the end of yourself before God can fill you up. But if you'll empty yourself, do you see every time that God finds something empty, he always fills it. Come on, somebody. He, I said, if he finds you empty, he will fill you. He found an empty jar and he filled it. He found empty people and he filled them with his power. He found those who were broken. And if, if you will come to him empty, he will not let you leave empty, but he will fill you with his power and with his glory. Come on and praise him right here. She, 
<laughs> she was so inebriated with her pain that Eli, the priest, thought she was drunk. She wasn't drunk. She was offering worship out of her pain. Eli mis misjudged her because he had never seen worship like this before. He was used to people showing up at the temple when everything was going good. But he wasn't used to Hannah's coming up in the house of God and praising God right in the middle of their pain, right in the middle of their confusion, right in the end of their self and their brokenness and their frustration and not knowing what he was not used to that. He never heard that kind of sound before. But it was in that kind of sound, amen, out of her brokenness, not out of her blessing, but out of her brokenness and out of her pain, amen, that he began to tap into the heavenly world and heaven began to move in upon her life. You see, we have not been taught how to worship God in the wilderness of our life. We have been taught this lie that you worship when things, good things happen to you. That's a good time because they celebrate the victory, right? Amen. Celebrate what God has done. But I want to tell you today that you see that God wants us to worship. He, he didn't just create us to worship when things are good. Amen. He created us to worship him at all times. Now, how many know you got to know God for real to worship him all the time? Because there's some hell on earth. I said there's some hell on earth that we go through and people are dealing with difficult times. And it's easy when everything is going good to say my redeemer lives. But it's a God thing. You've got to have a relationship with him. That whenever you don't know where, how you're going to pay the bills, you don't know, they've diagnosed you with sickness and the doctor says incurable, it's hard to lift up your face and not just give a groan, but give a shout and say he is good and his mercy endures forever. God brought Israel into the desert so he could, could meet with them. But they refused. God wanted to reveal to them who he was. But they were, were too self-centered to see what God was wanting to do. So he, instead of teaching them about who he was, he taught them about themselves. God in, is interested uh, and, and his intent in the desert times is to be a blessing. But they refused to receive it, so he turned the desert that was meant to be a blessing into a pro uh, process to process out, process out of them their complaining, their faithlessness, their bitterness, their idolatry, their attitudes. He, 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 came, he brought the wilderness. He said, if you don't want to learn about me, then I'll teach you about yourself. And I'll make this process about pushing out of you everything that's not like me. The desert trains us 
to praise God because of who he is, regardless of our circumstances. Our deserts teach us to praise him for what he will do and what be grateful for what he has done. Deserts prepare our hearts to be able to receive and hold on to the promises of God. If you're in the desert, I encourage you that it was not designed to destroy you, but it was designed to bring you closer to God. And the only way that you will die in the desert is if you refuse to come closer to him. The desert is a staging point for you to receive the promises of God in your life. There is no record in scripture of what Elkins and Paniah's worship produced because it was easy worship. And while we are thankful for those easy worship times, it does not result in releasing the miraculous in your life. But if we want to produce a testimony that will be recorded in spiritual history, then we have to understand that we only happens through our pain, that we learn how to worship in pain. What do you think about when you think of Paul and Silas? You don't think about his great preaching. You don't think perhaps about him writing two-thirds of the New Testament. You don't think about his miraculous conversion. But most people think about the jail. They think about the midnight season of their life. Why? Because it was, it was recorded in spiritual history because they went against what they were feeling in their flesh. They didn't praise him because the king had just thrown a party for them. But they were praising him in the midst of getting ready to be assassinated the next day. They was put into prison. You know the story, so I won't linger long. But they were put into the cell where the, where the, the sewer would run and the rats were. And they were put into this place, not just that way, but they were beaten before they were placed in there. They, they had been beaten with rods and stones and they had been uh, put through all kinds of pain and trouble. But it was in the midst of this time that they began to worship God. God, not out of their success, but out of their brokenness. And after doing all that they had to do to advance the kingdom of God, and now it lands them in prison, beat half to death. But out of that place, they begin to lift up the name of Jesus. They begin to glorify God and begin to praise his name. I want to tell you the Bible said at midnight, mid, in the middle of it, it's easy to praise him when you get to the other side but in middle of your difficulty in the middle of your trouble in the when you haven't got the answer yet when things haven't turned out the way you're hoping they had turn out but at the midnight in the middle of your night season of your life they would begin to lift up a praise that would give glory and honor unto the lord hallelujah i want to tell you something that i've learned about midnight it only lasts 60 seconds. Midnight only lasts 60 seconds and it's a brand new day. And I hear the Lord say darkness can only endure for the night. But joy comes in the morning. 
And if we learn how to praise God in the dark season of our life, if we learn how to praise him, it will not only mark us, but it will mark history. In the natural, they didn't have one thing to praise God for. They weren't feeling good. They didn't have a good report. They didn't have the lights and the sound and the atmosphere was not set directly like it ought to be. There was nobody to encourage them to worship. But even in the middle of the most disturbing situation, that you could think of. They were there and the only thing on their mind is, Brother Saul, why don't we give God some praise? Why don't we just worship God right here? Why don't we just lift him up? He's been good to us, hasn't he? And I can see him begin to talk back and forward until they encourage one another and they broke out into song. You see, I, what my, I'm concerned today because we've been so spoon-fed so long and people don't know how to worship for themselves. We've been blessed to have someone else tell us what to say. And we've been blessed to have someone else give us a song to sing. But when we, we, we're blessed to have an atmosphere such as this that is set for us to worship God. And I'm thankful for all of that. But I'm concerned that we think that that's the only time we can worship. But how long has it been since you sang God a song from your heart? How long has it been since you lifted up his name and glorified him amen from your soul just tell him how wonderful he is and how glorious he is thank God for corporate worship thank God for pastor Jamie thank God for the worship team but every once in a while you need to break out in a song of your own because you see your song is like no other song baby nobody else can sing your song nobody else can worship your God because nobody else has been ministered to like you have been ministered to. And so I'm concerned that we don't know how to express ourselves, don't know how to express our hearts to God in our worship. When Paul and Silas, I, I don't know how good it sounded. <laughs> I don't know if it rhymed or if it flowed. I don't know if it was poetic or not, but one thing I do know is it was hard worship. It wasn't an easy thing. And I do know that whatever they sung, it touched the heart of God. Amen. Because it produced a power that not only them, but the, those around them were set free. Hallelujah. You see, there's something about hard worship that doesn't just affect you, but it'll impact others around you. Amen. Whenever hard worship is given, it will flow over onto other people. The residual, the power, the experience of his glory will be revealed into your life. Not only did uh, we see that that hard worship produced a miracle in them, but it set everybody else around them free. Sometimes we come to the house of the Lord and we've had a difficult week, but we can praise for somebody else until the glory fills the house. And if they'll open up their mouth and join in and praise him, although it may be hard, God will inhabit that praise. 
Because you see, we've got to learn how to praise him because it produces a power that not only sets us free, but it sets others free. Hannah gave hard worship, hard praise. And not only did it hard praise produce a miracle, her praise saved a whole generation. Think about it. One woman's decision to worship God in the midnight season of her life changed the trajectory of a whole generation. Eli is the priest. He's hard of hearing. He cannot hear the voice of God. He's blind. He has no vision. When leadership has no vision and cannot hear the voice of God, you're in trouble. Worse than that, his two sons were consumed with perversion. And it's Hannah's hard praise that produces a replacement for a priest. You see, that, that generation before them had already given up hope. They had named that generation Ichabod. The glory has departed. Huh? Is anybody with me today? This generation was called Ichabod. The glory is departed. What they pronounced upon that generation is God has forgotten you. There's no hope for you. There's no reason to go to the temple anymore and worship because God is gone. And they had accepted it. I said they had accepted it. But Samuel had already been born. Samuel came out of a night season in Hannah's life. Samuel was birthed out of pain. Samuel was birthed out of adversity. Samuel knew what it was to not give up and not just so it was easy. A lot of people like it easy. But but Samuel said, wait a minute, just be, before you get too quick to, to accept this, I want you to know that I was born for such a time as this. Before you throw in the towel, before you get bitter, before you give up on this generation, let me tell you that my mama I was birthed out of her hard praise. I can see him as he was saying I was born in praise. This is what I was created for. Just give me a chance. Amen. Just give me the opportunity. And he brings Israel back to a place of worship. He said Ichabod will not be upon our door any longer. But Israel has been called to praise God. We will be worshipers of the most high God. I want to tell you that they have put a death sentence upon this generation. Our culture has said that God is dead and gone. But God.
God has anointed some Samuels in this last hour that he's raising up and he'll say I will not compromise I will not settle but I've been born for a moment as this I've been born for a time as this and I will lift up my head from the hills from which cometh my help and I will bless the name of the Lord oh come on and praise him right here today come on and bless him today See, we all say we want a testimony, but nobody wants a hard time. Don't get me wrong. I don't stand in the line of trouble either. But when trouble comes, don't lose your spiritual compass. When difficult times come, don't lose your praise. Don't lose your worship. Because you see, in those hard times, it is an opportunity for us to give him a worship out of our pain, worship out of our sorrow, and it produces a testimony that this generation will know that he is God. Possibly you're currently going through a crisis. Could it be that God is allowing you to come to this difficult place in your life to give you an opportunity to worship like you've never worshipped before? Could it be that, that God has brought you to this desert not to kill you, but to give you an opportunity to, to clear all of the mess out of your life. And in that place of the desert, the night season of your life, that you, like Hannah, will go into the house of the Lord and give him the praise that he is worthy of. Not because of how you feel, not because of what you see, not because of what you have received, but just because you know he is God and he is worthy of your praise. He is worthy of your worship. Amen. I tell you today that we have to understand that it is our worship that will in, God will inhabit. It is our worship that will shift things in our life. And it's not the easy times that make makes the difference. It's the Job seasons of our life that gets God's attention. Sitting there with boils, sickness, and ashes. Not one, not two, but all of his children die in one storm. Thieves have taken everything that he has worked so hard for. And he has no way to make a living now. And Miss Job encourages him in this season not to worship God, but to curse God. After all, that sounds like the reasonable thing to do. Job, you've given all of your life to God, 
you've been there, you've walked this thing out, you've, you've eaten nobody else. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't have somebody to teach him. All he had was a personal relationship with God that he was walking out. That's the reason why you see sometimes he speaks out and he says things that, that are, are contradictory to the plan and the purpose of God because he didn't know. He was just saying what he thought. But he was working it out and he did everything when everybody else seemingly was going their own ways and doing their own thing. Job was doing his very best to follow God. Miss Job said, look what it's got you. Why don't you just curse God and die? Look, our kids are gone. Our house is destroyed. Your job's gone. All of the herd is taken. We got nothing left. But Job made a decision that we still read about today because it has been marked in spiritual history. Don't you know that it was not easy for him to lift up his voice with boils on his body? I cannot even imagine the emotional stress. I cannot imagine how his mind must have been exploding and his heart was broken. And seemingly not even his spouse was standing with him. And yet he said... Mrs. Job, I, I don't want to disrespect you. But even though these worms may destroy my body and they slay me, I'm still going to trust him. I'm still going to praise him. I don't know what Job's song was that day. I don't know what his worship sounded like. Maybe it was just that one confession alone. I do not know, but this is what I do know. It touched the heart of God. It moved him. I want to tell you today, I don't know where you may be, but I, come to talk, I didn't come to talk to everybody, but I come to find some Hannah's today. I'm looking for some Hannah's. I'm looking for some people in the night season. I'm looking for a Paul, a Silas. I'm looking for a Job. You say, Pastor, I've done all I know to do, and I, I, I just, just don't have nothing left in me. I'm empty. Can I tell you, an empty place is a good place to be today because he always feels emptiness. He went to an empty tomb and he filled it for three days. But on the third day, he came out victorious over death, hell, and the grave. And he told John, write it down and tell him, because I live, you can live also. I want to tell somebody today that's struggling. I feel it so strong all week, but I feel it even stronger standing here today that I'm talking to some Hannah's. You're pressed beyond measure. You don't know how you're dealing with the circumstance, the situation that you're facing.
But I want to tell you today, it may be a bad report from the doctor. It may be a financial. It may be you've given everything you've got and it don't seem like enough. But I challenge you today, right where you're at in that situation, praise him. With tears streaming down your face, with a mind that's full of confusion and frustration, push it all aside and give him praise for who he is and what he has done in your life. And see... If it don't mark history, see if today is not a day that you will look back and say from that day forward, I don't know, it may not happen, may not be in the physical this moment, but something shifted in my spirit and God worked it out for my good. You stand with me, please.